Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is a Piccolo podcast production. Welcome back to Fairground Fuckups. It's season two, and in this episode, we dive into the murky history of the SeaWorld franchise. I'm your narrator, Holly Mitchell. Welcome to Fairground Fuckups. SeaWorld is perhaps the ideal summer holiday destination, in perhaps the ideal summer holiday city. Set on San Diego's coastline, it enjoys the benefit of perfect temperatures all year round, against the sweeping vistas of the Mediterranean. A family spending a day at SeaWorld can enjoy far more than a simple stroll through an aquarium. There are rides that take patrons from the shallow depths of the bay to the heights of the city skyline. There are no fewer than five roller coasters for some adrenaline spiking action and adventure. There is the opportunity to be a part of the live studio audience for the Cirque Electric, a mesmerizing acrobatic display, or the spoof comedy Sea Lions Live. Then, of course, there are the real stars of SeaWorld. The delight of watching the seals and sea lions play with balls and high five their trainers. The stunning displays of synchronised swimming as dolphins leap through hoops and perform somersaults on command. But none of these things compares to the true stars of SeaWorld San Diego. The attraction that people travel from all around the world to see. The incredible performances of the Orsonus orca, more commonly known as the killer whale. SeaWorld was founded in 1964 by four graduates of the University of California. After their original plan to open an underwater restaurant failed, their idea expanded into a 22-acre marine zoological park along the shore of Mission Bay in San Diego. With the help of a $1.5 million investment, the park opened with 45 employees, several dolphins, sea lions and two seawater aquariums. It proved to be a huge success, with over 400,000 visitors in its first year of operation. SeaWorld was not the first aquatic park to showcase the talents of killer whales to the public. That tradition began at the Seattle Marine Aquarium, under the guidance of aquatic wildlife trainer Ted Griffin, with the original orca superstar, Namu. For decades of their operation, SeaWorld has ordered the capture of orcas, calling upon independent hunters who would use spotters, speedboats, nets, airplanes and bombs to herd the whales into coves. Once they were surrounded, the young ones were selected and separated from their mothers, sold or leased to any aquatic zoo in need of fresh blood for their exhibits. The intention is for the orcas to attract the crowds and breed pods for convenient population growth. San Diego created the gold standard for aquatic parks 
and as a brand, the name became a hot commodity, being leased by coastal cities all over North America and eventually around the world. More than the name, like any franchise, SeaWorld offered tried and tested operating procedures, training programs, and the opportunity to trade exhibit animals between sites. Among the licensed benefits was the orca stage name, Shamu, and the legacy that came from the generally five-ton creatures performing somersaults to the delight of the crowd. One of the more notable killer whales to bear the Shamu moniker was featured at SeaWorld Orlando. His given name was Tilikum. Tilikum was taken from his family at just two years old. Despite his young age, he was already about four metres long, an early indication of his immense potential. Eventually, he would grow to be over 6.5 metres long and close to 6,000 kilograms, the largest orca ever in captivity. While captured in Iceland, Tilikum was first displayed in British Columbia, where he was trained as a part of the killer whale show for Sealand of the Pacific. At Sealand, Tilikum shared a habitat pool with two older female orcas, Haida and Nutka. While this may sound like the setting for an awkward family sitcom, it became more akin to a children's tale involving an orphan and his two wicked aunts. Barely understood at the time was the notion of social dynamics amongst orcas. Affecting factors range from time spent acclimatising to the company of other orcas, to the fact that there are as many as five distinct subspecies. In captivity, these different species of killer whales are forced to share tiny tanks. Essentially, they have different genes, languages and cultures to each other. These differences have the potential to result in displays of hyperaggression between the disparate groups, and in some cases lead to violence and killing. At SeaWorld in 1988, this conflict of subspecies resulted in one orca ramming another into the concrete wall of the tank. The orca punctured an artery in its head, bled out, and died a few minutes later. This kind of behaviour is not apparent in the wild, where there are miles of ocean in which killer whales are able to escape one another. On average, an orca swims up to 100 miles every day. In captivity, groups are required to share pools which may be up to 12,000 cubic metres in size. That makes up about 1% of their natural habitat. Tilikum's companions at Sealand did not respond well to his arrival, continuously forcing him out of the more open areas of the pool and cornering him in the much smaller medical pool, where concerned trainers spent most of their time with him. In spite of these difficulties, Tilikum persisted with his bad-tempered female companions for six years and participated in the crowd-pleasing killer whale shows by their side. This was until the event that forced the closure of Sealand and saw Tilikum's transfer to Orlando's SeaWorld. On the 20th of February 1991, a 21-year-old marine biology student and part-time orca trainer named Kelty Byrne slipped and fell into the whale pool following that day's show. To the horror of the other trainers, Nutka, Haida and Tilikum seized hold of the helpless young trainer, dragging and repeatedly submerging her. 
In spite of the best efforts of her peers to rescue her, Kelty Byrne was held under the water by the enormous creatures and drowned. In the aftermath, attempting to salvage their reputation as an aquatic zoo and marine research contributor, the investigators employed by the park suggested that the poor relations between the whales, the fact that they were unfamiliar with having trainers in the water with them, and the pregnancy of at least one of the females were factors in the tragic death. Despite the troubling occurrence, it was widely accepted across the wildlife and aquatic parks to simply be part of the risk involved in working with creatures in captivity. Because of this, there was no hesitation from Orlando SeaWorld to bid for the three orcas and make plans for Tilikum to take centre stage as their very own Shamu. It was easy enough to rationalise the decision. After all, it was Nutka and Haida that had been the primary aggressors during their time at Sealand. With a whole new environment and separate from the problematic influences of the two older females, the still young Tilikum had an opportunity to shine. And shine he did. Tilikum was a hit with the crowds in Orlando and in a pleasant reversal of fortune, it seemed he was a hit with the female orcas as well. During his time as the star attraction, Tilikum sired 21 calves. Ten of them are still alive in aquatic zoos today. The young orca seemed to adjust perfectly to life in Florida. Until the morning of July 6, 1999, when SeaWorld staff arrived to start their day at work and made a grisly discovery. During the night, a homeless man named Daniel P. Dukes had made his way to Tilikum's tank. It seemed that he had been in attendance at the park the previous day, taking in the Shamu show, and had hidden on the park's premises until the staff had closed up for the night and gone home. Emerging from his hiding place, he wandered the park, staying out of sight of security cameras, until he could create his very own close encounter. Stripping naked, Dukes climbed into the tank housing Tilikum. None of this was discovered until the morning, when trainers checked on Tilikum in his sleeping pool to find the dead body of Daniel Dukes draped over his back. The medical examination found numerous wounds covering Dukes' body, all of them too fresh to have been caused prior to his final moments. No drugs or alcohol were found in his system, but it was not a stretch for investigators to question the mental state of a man who would attempt to befriend a killer whale, if that was what Dukes was trying to do. The incident was traumatic for SeaWorld staff and raised a number of concerns about keeping orcas in captivity. Tilikum had also exhibited other troubling behaviours during his years at SeaWorld. He had been spotted floating motionless for hours on end, an unnatural behaviour for orcas, who are constantly moving in the wild, and several of his teeth had been broken off from chewing on the sides of the tank. But this was clearly a case of a very sick and irrational individual attempting to interact with a creature he had no means of understanding. Even trainers exercise caution when working with these great beasts, and none would ever consider putting themselves in such a vulnerable position. Without meaning to cast aspersions, Daniel Dukes clearly brought the wrath of Tilikum on himself. 
there was no reason to make any changes to his routine or performances. Though, undoubtedly, trainers stepped into those waters with a little more care. By this time, the 2000s came around. Animal rights groups had been clamouring for decades to see significant change in the treatment of animals in captivity, and orcas particularly were the focus of attention. With the benefit of years of further observation of the sea mammals in their natural habitat and significant study of their social structures, interpersonal relationships and behavioural patterns, a whole new understanding of killer whales was being formed. And it was not terribly flattering for those establishments built around the public display of them in captivity. In the wild, orcas live in large pods and they work together to catch their food. Life expectancy for females can be anywhere up to 100 years, while males tend to live for 50 or 60. In captivity, the average lifespan of an orca is 25 to 30 years. Most adult orcas never leave their mother's side. The common practice at SeaWorld, however, was to separate calves from their mothers when they are deemed independent at around four years of age. Nets are put in place to separate the two and the calf is transported to another SeaWorld resort. The heart-wrenching consequences of this were witnessed by former SeaWorld trainer John Hargrove, who saw a baby orca separated from her mother. During the days that followed, the mother floated lifelessly in the corner of the tank, shaking, screeching and crying. Trainer Hargrove said... She was emitting vocalisations that had never been heard before. Experts concluded the long-range vocals were produced so she could find her child and communicate with her. SeaWorld at the time was quite financially dependent on their marine wildlife shows, especially killer whale shows. While paying lip service to ensuring the best possible conditions for their animals they were determined to continue promoting Shamu to children and parents around the world. Tillicum would stay where he was for the next 11 years, and no one would think twice about that decision. Until Dawn Brancho. Dawn was a graduate of the University of South Carolina, where she studied psychology and animal behaviour. She was a volunteer at a local animal shelter, looked after two chocolate Labradors, and kept a variety of stray ducks, chickens, rabbits and small birds at her home. Her dream since visiting SeaWorld as a child on vacation with her family was to one day become a Shamu trainer. Dawn spent two years working with dolphins at Six Flags Great Adventure in New Jersey, which was featured in season one of Fairground Fuckups as the scene of the haunted castle fire before beginning her career at SeaWorld Orlando in 1994, initially working with otters and sea lions. 1996 was a happy year for Dawn. She married Scott Branchot, a SeaWorld stunt water skier, and landed her dream job of working with orcas. She steadily rose through the ranks of the SeaWorld team, not simply working to train their orcas and perform with them, but taking on the role of senior trainer, which led to her spending several years making significant changes to the Shamu show. Dawn was a poster child for the human aspect of the franchise, literally. Her face was known throughout the region 
appearing on billboards and television spots which highlighted her work. She understood well the inherent risks involved in working with wildlife, but was a champion of the program to which she had dedicated so much of her life. On the 24th of February 2010, Branchot and Tillicum performed the show Dine with Shamu for guests. The performance, which showcased the orcas' exercise and feeding routines, took place in a pool by the open-air restaurant so the patrons could share a meal with their beloved Shamu. After the formal part of the show had concluded, as guests continued to finish their own meals, Dawn stepped out onto the slide-out platform which allowed her to walk past the edge of the pool and lie down so that she could be closer to her performance partner. She lay by Tillicum with her arm outstretched, gently rubbing his head, something she had done countless times before. Suddenly, without warning, Dawn was pulled underwater. Reports are unclear, with some witnesses saying she was pulled by the arm, others that she was pulled by her ponytail. Whatever the case, Tillicum had Dawn in his grasp, and he was clearly unwilling to let her go. Employees from the restaurant and trainers around the pool scrambled to come to her aid. Trainers threw nets in an attempt to stop Tillicum's movements, while others threw food at the killer whale, hoping that it may distract him. Tillicum dragged Dawn from pool to pool in the complex, evading the trainers and ignoring the efforts to stop him. Eventually, they were able to shepherd the orca into the smaller medical pool, where they hoped they would have a greater chance of calming him down. Finally, after approximately 45 minutes, Tillicum released Dawn's body. The autopsy report said that Dawn died from drowning and blunt force trauma. Her spinal cord was severed and she had sustained fractures to her jawbone, ribs and a cervical vertebra. Her scalp was completely torn off from her head and her left elbow and left knee had been dislocated. On the 23rd of August 2010, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, otherwise known as OSHA, found SeaWorld to be in breach of multiple safety violations. And they contended that at least one of these had a direct impact on the circumstances of Dawn Brencho's death. SeaWorld was fined $75,000 by OSHA, who maintained that SeaWorld had shown plain indifference to or intentional disregard for employee safety and health. These citations were challenged by SeaWorld and the case was taken to court in an attempt to have the allegations and the fine dismissed. Calling in experts to give testimony and presenting their carefully prepared policies and procedures for scrutiny, SeaWorld looked set to repeat history, dismissing the volatility of their prized bull, Tillicum, and pointing to a myriad of extraordinary external factors that led to the incident and tragic death. The case was not only for the restoration of SeaWorld's shattered reputation, but it would also determine the future of their biggest attraction. While the OSHA citations were in place, they were prevented from carrying on their killer whale shows as rehearsed, since trainers were not permitted to enter into the tanks and be in close proximity to the orcas any longer. 
For this to change, SeaWorld needed to demonstrate that Dawn's death was not in any way caused by deficiencies in the training regime or safety policies, but a human error. Like the homeless man, Daniel Dukes, SeaWorld would contend that Dawn had brought about her own death. Bizarrely, one of their first assertions was that the organisation had no idea that working with killer whales could be considered a hazardous occupation. Exactly what definition of hazardous they were referring to is unknown, but SeaWorld certainly felt that it was unreasonable to think that their trainers were at risk of any real harm while working with wildlife 70 times their size in an environment which they were ill-equipped to survive. From this general claim of innocence by ignorance, SeaWorld moved on to make the suggestion that Dawn had instigated whatever had set Tilikum to respond so aggressively, possibly because she was wearing her hair in a ponytail. It was suggested that this was something the orca would have been unfamiliar with, and therefore at least curious about, and possibly threatened by. The case essentially came down to SeaWorld's faith in their conditioning program. The argument made to the court was simple. As custodians, SeaWorld ensures all animals are part of their comprehensive regime that conditions all behaviour, which means that all animal behaviour in SeaWorld is entirely predictable. If a behaviour occurs that has not been conditioned, or is unpredictable, then the fault must lie with the trainer in question not following the conditioning program. Fortunately, the court had little regard for such a notion. While some aspects of the initial citation and fine were downgraded, the judge presiding over the case maintained that the policies and procedures in place at SeaWorld were clearly inadequate to account for the essential unpredictability of working in close quarters with large, predatory mammals. Their initial argument that suggested there was no reason to think that killer whales may be dangerous to their trainers was regarded as nonsense by the court. At this point, a more complete history of incidents involving trainers attacked by orcas came to light and would go on to receive a good deal of public attention. Dating back to the original Shamu, SeaWorld alone had seen nine other violent incidents over the years. To say nothing of the 40 attacks that had occurred in other parks around the world. Before Dawn's death, an attack in 2006 was investigated by OSHA that concluded, The continuing factors to the incident, in the simplest of terms, is that swimming with captive orcas is inherently dangerous. And if someone hasn't been killed already, it's only a matter of time before it does happen. SeaWorld's fine was reduced from $75,000 to $12,000, reflecting that the court did not consider the park management to be willfully putting their trainers at risk. But the restrictions on their public shows would remain in place. No longer could trainers get up close and personal while the awestruck crowd marvelled at the bond between them. There was simply no way of ensuring that no further attacks would occur. With their bread and butter gone, SeaWorld has engaged in a lengthy series of appeals to bring their main attraction back to its former glory. So far, they have been unsuccessful. In fact, in 2015, they were once more cited by the OSHA for inadequate protections for trainers. The incident involving Dawn was the inspiration for the 2013 documentary Blackfish, 
which brought the case and the issue of animal rights with regard to the orca to the attention of an international audience. Lawmakers in California and the US House of Representatives proposed legislation to phase out orca captivity, and the California Coastal Commission moved in 2015 to ban orca breeding. SeaWorld announced it was discontinuing its program of artificial insemination of captive orcas and was partnering with the Humane Society of the United States to work against commercial whaling and seal hunts, shark finning and ocean pollution and would increase its focus on rescue operations. Their profits, even before the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, had fallen more than 80%. The Dawn Brancho Foundation was created by her family in Dawn's honour. The foundation is dedicated to improving the lives of children and animals in need, inspiring others to follow their dreams, and promoting the importance of community service. As for Tillicum, after Dawn's death, Tillicum was largely isolated from the other whales at the park, a painful arrangement for such a social animal. Throughout all the years killer whales have been held in captivity, there have only been four deaths. Tillicum was responsible for three of them. Orcas in captivity are psychologically damaged and traumatised from a lack of stimulation, boredom and forced tricks for entertainment. Tillicum's displays of aggressive behaviour were no longer something that could be dismissed. However, there has been no redress for the conditions he lived in for the vast majority of his life that spurred him to lash out at his keepers. His years following the death of Dawn were marked by isolation. Trainers used hoses and equipment to tend to his needs while keeping their distance from him. While he was occasionally paired with one of his offspring for the shows, SeaWorld were anxious about keeping him with any long-term companions. In early 2016, Tillicum began to experience health problems due to a bacterial infection, a common affliction amongst his kind in captivity, and one which often results in their death. He struggled with ill health for almost a full year, finally passing away on the 6th of January 2017. There has never been a recorded case of an orca killing a human at sea. I'm Holly Mitchell, and you've been listening to Fairground Fuck-Ups. Next episode, we speak to John Gregory from the Theme Park Tribune to further discuss SeaWorld's complicated past.